Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Today we're going to have another interview with Dr. Joe Alton. This will be the second time he has appeared on this podcast, and he's got new information to share with you. But before we get to that interview, let me thank our sponsor, Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping you with everything you need to sew for your boat, from bimini's and boat covers to upholstery work and even sewing your own sails. Sailrite is your one-stop shop for fabric, sail and canvas kits, tools, hardware, and sewing supplies. Sailrite is also the maker of the patented Ultrafeed sewing machine, a portable heavy-duty machine that can handle all the sewing jobs for your boat and more. A passionate crew of DIYers, Sailrite produces high-quality, free how-to videos to empower their customers to turn their sewing dreams into a reality. Well, before we get into the interview with Dr. Joe Alton, I want to remind you that if you want to support this podcast, there's three ways to do it. You can go back and buy the back catalog of episodes that goes back to the beginning. You can buy those in 20 podcast bundles for about $10 each. The second way is to become a Patreon and support me on Patreon. And that website is patreon.com backslash medsailor. There are multiple tiers to supporting me on that. And the $25 a month tier titles you to get the full back catalog of podcasts for that contribution. And the third and final way is to buy my audio products. I have a series of audio lessons for the different ASA certifications, the ASA 101, the ASA 103, and the ASA 104. These audio lessons are designed to prepare you to take the written portion of those ASA exams. Again, I cannot teach you how to sail in a podcast or an audio book. You have to get on the water. But to learn about safety techniques and terminology, that's what I teach you in these audio lessons. So consider supporting the podcast. All right, let's get on to my interview with Dr. Joe Alton. So I'm on the phone. I'm Skype with Dr. Bones, Dr. Joe Alton, and his wife, Nurse Amy. And you were originally on this podcast back on June 9th, 2016. We had actually two episodes where we talked. And uh, a lot has changed since then, and I wanted to get you back and talk about your new books and talk about what is appropriate for sailors to, uh, to have in their medical kit. Now, first of all, let's talk about your website. I've got it up here. It's called doomandbloom.net, as I recall. Doomandbloom.com. Doomandbloom.com. And at your website, you have uh, your mission. And your mission is to put a medically prepared person in every family. And then you have a lot of classes that you put on. You're traveling all around all the time to put on these classes. You also put together medical kits for specific purposes and in general, I think you're a great asset for our listeners to take advantage of. And remember, my listeners are mostly sailors or sailor wannabes. <laughs> so, can, so tell us about what's new since the last time we talked. Well, we've been doing just a lot of stuff. We have a podcast called the Survival Medicine Hour. 
which basically talks about off-grid or homestead medicine, I guess, it would, or, or ocean voyage medicine, if yes. you would like to <laughs> exactly. consider it that as well. I would call um, so, um, sailor medica- medic- medicine actually off-grid. Yeah, you're- I think that's about, a, a, you know, if you're offshore, you're about as off-grid as you can get. So. <laughs> exactly, <Right>. exactly. <laughs> we have a YouTube channel called DR Bones uh, Nurse Amy, Dr. Bones Nurse Amy channel. It has now uh, 200 videos on it on all sorts of similar medical types of topics. Our new edition is now 700 pages of our uh, classic survival medicine handbook. This one is called The Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. And we even have, uh, we even talk about survival at sea and uh, other issues that might interest oh, the sailor in that. Oh, you have one on that. drowning. Yes, we have, of course, near drowning Surviving, issues. Surviving. Um, Breaking through the ice. Right, breaking through the ice for uh, folks in northern climates. And so we have a lot there. And we also have our new book, our brand new book, which just came out just a few months ago, called Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, the uh, layman's guide to available antibacterials in austere settings. And so we talk about all how to use the various types of antibiotics that you can get in avian and aquatic form that uh, will certainly, uh, having a good supply of those would do the sailor good in certainly if they're going to be outside the range of modern medicine for a period of time and wind, wind up getting an infection. Now, I was traveling in Turkey and Greece and uh, I came down with, or I should say my, my daughter came down with dysentery and we had to get specific uh, antibiotics for dysentery. I, th- I forget exactly what they were. You could tell us off the top of your head. But in Turkey and Greece, all you need to do to go buy antibiotics is just go to a pharmacy, at least in my experience. It may have changed since then. But just go and list the, list the antibiotic you want to the pharmacist, and they will sell it over the counter to you, unlike in America where you have to get a prescription. Well, you're absolutely right. It is so much easier to get antibiotics uh, when you need them in other countries. Uh, in Europe, it's the same way. In uh, just about anywhere in South America, you can get antibiotics as well. So it is a little unusual that in the United States, things are so, as they say, uh, restrictive with regards to getting these products. And I believe very strongly that anyone that's uh, either in a homestead situation, a remote location, uh, on an ocean voyage, or uh, simply concerned about the uncertain future, should have a supply of these antibiotics. And indeed, they are available without a prescription in little-known aquatic uh, aquarium-type antibiotics, uh, avian antibiotics, that are actually the exact same items that you would find uh, as a human antibiotic. Now, for dysentery, you probably use either Cipro or sulfa drugs, things like that. Cipro, that's exactly right. Cipro is one. There you go. Yep. So, so we—that's one of the antibiotics that we feel strongly would that would be very useful for dysentery. Okay, so so if you were to put together a kit for somebody sailing, and I've got uh, listeners that are sailing down in. South America right now, going up some of the various rivers in Brazil and and um, 
the, those areas there. In fact, I just in, interviewed one that, a couple of weeks ago. I think he was in Sumatra. Is that right? No, no. Sumatra's in this in the Far East. It was um, anyway, yeah. d- just north of Brazil, one of those little t- little countries just on the north edge of Brazil and on the on the coast. But uh, what what would you want in your kit? Well, I, I'm just going to mention one thing. We did do a Stop the Bleeding class last night. Yesterday was officially Stop the Bleed Day, and it was their, their second annual National Stop the National Bleed Day. National Stop yes. the Bleed Day. So we actually did a class last night. It was a two-hour class teaching folks. It was a live webinar on how to stop bleeding. So for me, thinking about being out, quote, off-grid or in the middle of an ocean some of the things that I really would be concerned about are not necessarily the minor things, although we're going to mention some supplies for those, but the life-threatening situations. And, of course, what's going to kill you fast is bleeding, especially if you're trying to motor yourself to an, uh, an island or some land to get some help yeah. or even wait for a helicopter. You're going to bleed, right? Right. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So... Uh, just a quick list of some bleeding supplies that you would want to have to stop bleeding would be a, a good supply of gauze. I, I don't think people realize how much gauze that you can go through, not only for life-threatening bleeding, but even for just minor wounds. You know, you have to change a dressing a couple times a day. So you're going to want a good supply of both sterile and non-sterile gauze products. The non-sterile gauze products, which are much cheaper because you can buy them in bulk, they're not like individually packaged sterile um, items, are used to stop the bleeding. Because you don't, at that point, you know, you're not really so concerned about sterility. You're more concerned about stopping the bleeding. You will clean the wound later and use sterile dressings to cover them up so they heal right. But at that point, you can use that bulk, cheaper unsterile gauze products and there's rolled gauze flat gauze there's stacks of bricks the numbers are usually indicating the size of them so if you see something that says four by four that means simply it's a four inch by four inch gauze a two by two same thing two inch by two inch um there's something called abd pads those are usually just slightly thicker um and then, then they will also have a size five by nine all right, I'd like to mention that there are compressed gauzes that are vacuum packed, and we have a couple uh, right here. That we they can't show you, but, can't show you, but they, they are essentially but I can crinkle it. Essentially, these are vacuum packed in plastic. Uh, they are, I would say, what would you say, uh, in half an inch or thick by or, about two inches by three inches. By, okay, there you very, go. Very very small. About two by three inches, and and basically. These things, when you open them up, they actually unfold out to, let's see, four and a half inches by 12 feet. Right. Very, so, very huge. But but you're concerned about size and you're concerned about how big your kit is on... On a boat. On a boat. Space. You, you need have, space. Exactly. How much space are you going to dedicate to medical supplies when you need food and, and all these other things? Water and all the, all exactly. the other items so, that you need. Having something small is great. So uh, a good brand name that I actually use is uh, H&H Compressed Gauze. But there are other companies. Look for compressed gauze. Those are your two keywords for the tiny vacuum pack. Looks like it was packed in a food saver bag. 
Right. Literally, if you've ever used a food saver bag to vacuum pack. And it looks like it can't possibly be uh, 12 feet long, but it is when you when you take it and you just unravel it, you can get wind up getting a lot of gauze for your money and you get to save a lot of space. Absolutely. Okay, so gauze, we've discussed sterile and non-sterile. That is like number one. Now, now, on now, now let me ask you a question on, yes. on non-sterile. So there's sure. a there's a store here, and I'm in Utah. By the way, where are you guys today? Because you're always all South over the place. Florida. Okay. South Florida. That's our home. The our home base. We do have a home also uh, in Tennessee near the Smoky Mountain National Park, right outside the north entrance, actually. Okay. Okay, so in, in Utah, there's a, 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 oh, basically a farm supply place called uh, Intermountain Farmers. And mm -hmm. I go in there, and they have a lot of equestrian supplies. And, and mm -hmm. some of the equestrian supplies, of course, are bricks of gauze. And yes. also that, uh, that sort of uh, expandable bandage that you wrap around and it sticks to itself that you always use in the, uh, in, you know, the, the doctors use now to hold on gauze. Yes. And now those bricks of gauze are what you would probably call the non-sterile type exactly. gauze. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's a perfect supply. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we buy that, that uh, what is it called? That, that... Curlex. Curlex is a brand name of the self-adhesive wrap bandage. Yeah, that's what it is. It has a few different names. Yeah, but that's okay. not sterile anyway, so you can buy that there at a fraction of the cost. That uh... Absolutely, absolutely. That is not a sterile. And the reason that doesn't have to be sterile is it is used exactly the way you said to cover a dressing. Now, that dressing, again, with wound changes, with, with bandage changes, after you've cleaned it, after you've stopped any bleeding, will or should be sterile. So you've got in contact with the open wound a sterile piece of gauze, and then over that you can use an, an ACE bandage, you can use a non-sterile uh, rolled-up gauze to wrap around, and then you could cut it and put a little tape. You can use that sticky Coban or Curlex that you're talking about, the self-adhesive or self-adherent bandage. Because, again, it's not coming in contact with the open wound. So it really doesn't matter what you wrap around. I mean, you don't want something dirty. But, you know, clean is good for that particular okay. situation. Okay, so you're telling me when you've got bleeding coming, you can go ahead and use unsterile to stop the bleeding. Once it's stopped, put on the sterile, sterile gauze. Is that correct? Exactly, exactly. So most bleeding does stop with direct pressure. And that's important to know because you don't need to immediately put on a tourniquet unless it's something called life-threatening. Now, life-threatening bleeding is related to a lot of pooling blood, maybe a, a partial or complete amputation. Uh, we're worried about blood that's spurting, almost with a pulse-like um, Right, that's arterial, Timing, arterial because bleeding. Because it's, it's matching the pumping of the heart, and that means it's coming directly from the heart, so that's arterial, that's a sign. Plus, the color is usually more of a red color instead of a darker color. Um, if you put bandages on it or some sort of gauze, and those are becoming soaked rather quickly, these are life-threatening situations. So you're going to skip this direct pressure we just talked about, if you really feel as bad and and hopefully you have a tourniquet and that would be on the second item list is and a more, tourniquet and more than one more than one 
you may have to put two tourniquets on this person. They're applied properly about two to three inches above the wound. Um, if you're in a, a terrifying situation, let's say there's some horrible storm, you've got to do other things, you don't have time to take care of this patient, you can put it what's called high and tight. So you can put it very high on the arm if you know it's some injury somewhere on the, the arm. If it's on the leg, you're not sure where it is, just go as high as you can on the thigh, tighten it down, make sure there's no hard objects underneath it. So if they had a phone in their pocket, you need to get that out. If they had a pen, a pen or, or a compass or something in their pocket, they need to get that out. You can put it over clothing until things calm down and then you expose the wound, which is another thing on the list is a good pair of scissors or shears. Um, those are, they are ones that are protected so you don't jab a pointy end into the patient and make more injury. You want to cut the clothing off later on or immediately if it's a safe situation. So have a good pair or two or three, backups, always good, of some good EMT shears or also another alternative is bandage scissors because you can sharpen those and you can tighten them and reuse them. So we've got gauze, we've got scissors. You wanna make sure you have some gloves. Nitrile is best because they're hypoallergenic. Uh, there's a big problem with latex allergies these days. And if you're going to touch a patient, it's really not to protect you. This is an important thing. People think they're putting gloves on to protect themselves. It, it's You're not gonna get anything through your skin. It's the patient you're trying to protect because you don't wanna introduce your filthy hands onto their open wound because you personally could end up giving them an infection. Right, what is your skin? Your skin is your natural armor. armor right. If you breach the skin, then you are much, much more prone to develop an infection. So if you yourself don't have cuts on your hands, for example, you're not gonna get infected by uh, helping somebody who's bleeding. That person, however, their skin has been breached and they are, and they are bleeding and so therefore you know use of your hands especially if they're dirty are very very like it's very very likely to cause an infection now i'm gonna stop for a second and let you ask a question if you'd like oh, you're doing <laughs> great you know you're I my keep talking forever you're my perfect guest because i don't have to think of questions you're already anticipating my questions of course you've done so many interviews over the year you know <laughs> you know the questions that are coming up but but uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, your website and I'm looking at the Ultimate Compact First Aid Trauma Kit. And in that you've got uh -huh. everything listed. So, you know, you do such a great job. But I got to ask you, what are you using cayenne pepper for? Ah, cayenne pepper. Basically, in general, we consider ourselves to be integrative medical folk. And that means that we want to not only use conventional methods, but we also want to give people the option of certain natural remedies that have some proven medicinal benefit. And cayenne pepper powder above 35,000 Scoville units of heat will actually stop mild to moderate bleeding. It won't stop tourniquet, need a tourniquet right away kind of bleeding, but it will stop some mild to moderate bleeding. And so we always put these I, at least one natural remedy in every one of our kits to remind people that if you're going to be in an off-the-grid situation, that sometimes you have to look at what might be in your own environment, in your own backyard, in, in the forest, uh, that might have some medicinal benefit. There are always 
You have to remember that back in the 19th century, herbalism was essentially conventional medicine. That's basically the conventional doctors in the 19th century were all herbalists because that's all that they had. Uh, in 1884, they I think, or 1886, is when the first actual pharmaceutical was manufactured. But uh, before then, there were a lot of natural products that did a lot of the same things. For example, aspirin was the first uh, pharmaceutically pharmaceutical that was commercially produced. You could get the effect of it by simply uh, cutting into a willow tree's bark, getting down to the green underbark, cutting some strips of that and making a tea, and you have aspirin, essentially. Uh, it's a substance called salicin. And these are the things that our ancestors used to use to deal with a lot of medical issues. And we've lost some of that knowledge along the way. It used to be that every everybody in the family had an idea of what would be good for, for this problem, that problem, what plant would, would work to make you feel better if you were sick because of one thing or another. We don't do that anymore because we have this ready supply of commercially produced pharmaceuticals, but right. it's very important to also know, also know all the various medical natural products that may have medicinal benefit. You have to use all the tools in the woodshed. You have to remember we we write about disaster medicine or long-term survival medicine or homestead medicine if you're in a remote area. And so we look at things as if you don't have access ready access to these medicines and you have to sort of fend for yourself. Now you also have raw honey on here. Oh yeah. Raw honey has definitely, and this is medically proven antibacterial properties. And, and there's actually a medical product known as Medi honey, and you can use honey on um, wounds to prevent infection. Burns. Burns. I've done a video on burns. I actually have a video on, Honey is medicine. So if you like YouTube videos, um, our channel is uh, DR Bones Nurse Amy. And I, I have a full video on that. And then we go through burns. But those are the two things that I really think any cut, scratch, scrape, abrasion, avulsion, <laughs> any kind of a wound on the skin. All sorts of terrible stuff. Yeah. Mm. The thing about honey is not only is it antibacterial, it, it sort of replaces triple antibiotic ointment or even neosporin. So if you have those products, those have expiration dates on them. But guess what? Raw, unprocessed, hun unprocessed, unprocessed honey, right. uh -huh. <laughs> I need more coffee, actually does not have an expiration date. They have found honey from Egyptian tombs that was just fine. So it's pretty amazing that you can have something to replace a kind of expensive product that doesn't expire. Plus, you can put it in your tea and in your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and if your blood sugar is low, it raises the blood sugar. Honey's um, a better sugar substitute for diabetics. Also, it sort of metabolizes a little bit different, and it doesn't spike your your blood sugar quite as quickly or those refined sugars, and go right? and go away as fast as it spike and then go away. It gives you more of a steady blood sugar. Um, I do want to mention a couple other things when we're talking about the bleeding supplies. Just real quickly, um, you should have something called a pressure bandage or pressure dressing. There are a few, a few brand names. One of them is the emergency bandage. Another one uh, would be called the mini compression bandage. 
And also, when we were talking about cayenne pepper, the alternative, because that just takes care of possibly mild to moderate bleeding. By the way, we have used that ourselves at Burns, <laughs> but it works. I was wondering does, about that. Yeah, it does work. <laughs> Absolutely. Self-used, it does work. I get shaving cuts on my legs, and boy, I will bleed, and, and that does work. So if that's what you have in your galley, that's uh, right. what you could use. But if you are preparing a good medical kit, make sure in addition to the tourniquets, which are hard to figure out on your own and have them be very effective, is to have a commercially produced hemostatic gauze. Now, there are three brand names I'm going to tell folks. I don't care which one you get. I'm not financially involved with any of them. I'm distributing, but they, they're all equally good. Kaido Sam, as in the name Sam, made by Sam Medical, who, if people have gotten medical supplies, may have something called Sam Splints, same company. That's a hemostatic gauze kaido sam there's one called celox or celox someone might pronounce it that way c-e-l-o-x c-e-l-o-x and then the third one is by a company called quick clot and their product is called combat gauze any of those three products are the commercially produced fda approved for moderate to severe hemorrhaging those are what's going to stop the amputation from bleed from bleeding out. It's going to stop somebody who has sliced their leg straight open. This is what you need in addition to the tourniquet. And they determine the effectiveness of these things in, in rather graphic fashion. You could actually go onto YouTube and uh, look up quick clot or Silox demonstration. And what they what you'll find is, first off, they actually ask for your specific permission because it's graphic. And what they do is they take an adult pig and then they stab it with a knife in, in the area of its femoral, one of the main arteries the f called the femoral artery in the leg. And then they watch it bleed for about 90 seconds before they do anything. And then they place this bandage, these, this uh, blood-stopping bandage, a uh, hemostatic gauze, in there. And they apply pressure for three full minutes. And indeed, the bleeding does stop. And then they take their hands off. And they keep the camera on it. So you see... But that actually does work. So one very important thing to remember about the hemostatic gauze, first of all, it doesn't burn. Some of the older products did. It's easily washed out. All of them are easily washed out if there's any residue left in. And you have to hold it for three minutes. So that's how you activate them. You keep direct hard pressure in the wound towards where the bleeding is coming from which will be closest to the heart and you push hard for three minutes and that lets it activate now let me ask you a question on that because this, this brings up um, something that i remember that back in the day and this is you know i'm probably as old as you guys maybe older probably older actually uh they always said tourniquet was sort of a last ditch effort because you might run the risk of amputation or gangrene or or whatever now, with what you're telling me about this compression gauze and the tourniquet, so if I understand, if you've got, let's say you have uh, bleeding, uh, you've, you've hit an artery on your leg and you're bleeding and you apply a tourniquet, you shut off the bleeding and then you apply this pressure gauze, do you at that point in time after, let's say, three or four minutes, release the tourniquet or what's the story on that? No, actually, 
it has been shown. We've learned some painful lessons about bleeding from our conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. And one thing that came out of that was a, an about face with regards to our attitude towards tourniquets. In the past, you have seen uh, tourniquets uh, praised. You've seen them reviled as tools of the devil. Well, now it's gone full circle again, and it is now considered to be one of the first things that you use in any major bleed. As a matter of fact, the government of the United States supports the rapid and and immediate use of tourniquets for life-threatening bleeding uh, through their national Stop the Bleed initiative. And so it is absolutely imperative to have not only one tourniquet, at least two, maybe more would be much better, I think. And uh, a lot of the tourniquets that are on the market are very, very effective, very easy to use, many of them easy to use with one hand so you could actually apply them on yourself exactly. you know if you were shot in one arm i i have a tourniquet here uh or two actually i have two or three tourniquets here that you can just use one hand and apply it effectively and save your own life so these are things that are absolutely necessary for anyone that's going on on a voyage going to be in an off-grid setting now as far as taking it off you do not take a tourniquet off person who's going to take that tourniquet off is going to be the emergency room doctor or the surgeon. That is who's going to remove the tourniquet. So that person needs the helicopter or you need to get to a hospital, turn on, turn the engine on high. All right. Uh, now I will it. say that they have had, they have had people with tourniquets on for hours without any major issue. As a matter of fact, in some orthopedic surgeries, like knee replacements and things like that, they actually put a tourniquet on you, and it, you know, for the amount of hours that you're in surgery, you have a tourniquet on, and essentially no blood flow to the affected leg. So that's something that that's important to know. Now, if you were in a boat and you were days away from help, well then you're going to have to make some decisions as to what you're going to do with that person. Yes, and I have a great video that I do want you guys to watch. It's probably about 12 minutes long, but it talks about how to transition a tourniquet off. And it's something you might have to do if it's been... Technically, it's supposed to be 120 minutes, two hours. You have safe time. So if you're two or three hours away... Do not take it off. If you're hitting, I'd say, the, the third and fourth hour, you probably need to get this off. And the thing is, if you have acquired what I've told you to get, you have exactly what the military tells their personnel to do. If you have to transition the tourniquet off, you put in the hemostatic gauze, hold it for three minutes, pack it in there. If the hole is bigger than the 10-foot gauze or the 6-foot gauze that you have... <laughs> Pack some more gauze on top of it, and then you're going to cover the entire thing with a pressure dressing. So the two other things that I mentioned are part of what you put on if you have to take the tourniquet off. Now, if you have followed my directions, you put the tourniquet on, you put the hemostatic gauze on, and then you cover it all with the pressure dressing, you already have those two items on. So you should be able at that point to take the tourniquet off without having re-bleeding unless you have an amputation. And then 
I'm leaving that tourniquet on until that person's in an, in an OR. And I don't care how long it is. That I am not taking that tourniquet off because that is going to start rebleeding. So that's the one situation where I would not be transitioning the tourniquet off. Okay, and the pressure, the pressure dressing. I'm looking at this uh, this kit here. Would that be the ace bandage that you're you're packing it down with? No, no. The pressure dressing is on the outside. It's covering it. It's got a little elasticity. Think of an ace bandage with a sterile pad smack dab in the middle right, of it. Right, right. But that's covering up or, the gauze and the and the cellox. Let's say so. You got the cellox, the gauze. And then the ace bandage, is that what I'm thinking? Is that you could, you could use an ace bandage on the outside, but commercially and you could use an ace bandage. That would be fine. Okay. But commercially, what the military provides their personnel is the emergency bandage, or also known as the Israeli bandage. Okay, it's and exactly I see that I see that on, on your list in this that, in this kit. Exactly. Okay. That's the official pressure dressing that I'm talking about that you want to cover up. The hemostatic gauze that you held in for three minutes, if the hole's bigger than, than that gauze, it's going to be pretty large at that point, and you had to pack a little extra gauze, you can use any gauze to fill that hole up the rest of the way, and then you cover that whole thing. Like, we're piling the lasagna up. Now we're going to put the sauce on the outside, which is, or the cheese is the outside, <laughs> putting on the pressure dressing, which is also called the Israeli dressing. I just want to say that we have such faith in our kits, uh, the, what we've put together, because so many of our items do double duty. I mean, that ace wrap can serve as a pressure dressing. We have the tourniquet known as the SWAT tourniquet that can, can do triple duty act or quadruple duty. It can serve as a tourniquet. It can serve as a pressure dressing. It can be a sling. You can stabilize, let's say, a splint on a broken leg with it. So uh, all of our kits have the opportunity to use individual items for two or three uses. Matter yeah, of fact, multi-purpose. matter multi-purpose. of fact, <laughs> right. Matter of fact, the triangular bandage that it's in, that's in every one of our kits or just about every one of our kits, uh, that one has probably about 15 uses. We actually it, did seven of them. Probably Demon way more than right. that. <laughs> we demonstrated seven of them. In our latest video at the DR Bones Nurse Amy channel, uh, it's, I, I think, channel. what do we call it? Seven uses? How, how to use uh, triangular bandages, seven demonstrations by Nurse Amy. That's a long one, but <laughs> how to use a triangular bandage. So lots of different choices. You could use it for head injuries. You could use it as a sling. You can use it for a sprained ankle. You could just, and it, and it's essentially just a neckerchief similar to what uh, Boy Scouts wear. Okay. So I've, I've looked at some of your kits and I, I've got the, I've got two of your different tourniquets you recommend. You, I've got the SWAT T tourniquet. And then I bought uh, another one recommended in your your gunshot kit. Uh, I forget the name of it. There's either the, it, that will be either the soft T, the soft T wide. That's why that's I would it. the soft T wide. Yeah. And uh, what would be now? It looks like the SWAT T uh, is is basically it's like rubber, which is uh, stretchable, and you keep stretching up tighter and tighter and tighter till the. Uh, Till the bleeding stops. Is that the way I would describe that? Yes. And uh, Joe's going to explain a little more, but I just want to get a vision for people. If you imagine an elastic 
exercise band. And I bet that the guy who invented it, who I, I know him, he was an emergency room army doctor. I bet he came home one day and saw his wife exercising with that band. It's about five inches wide. And I'm sure that she was doing exercises with it, just stretching it. It's like a big, giant, thick rubber band is what it is. But, honey, I know you want to describe it a little more. Right. Well, you And you cannot break this thing. I mean, I have tried to stretch it and do all sorts of terrible things to it. I cannot get I cannot, cannot break it. And the interesting thing about the SWAT tourniquet is that the instructions are the name. SWAT stands for stretch, wrap, and tuck. So basically, this is a good two-handed tourniquet. This is not a tourniquet that without training that you could really use with one hand. So for me, it's a secondary tourniquet to the military style tourniquets, but it's very useful in that unlike the military style tourniquets, which are built for an arm or a leg of a adult, a military soldier. With some good muscle. This could actually, if you had a three-year-old that was shot in an active shooting or had some kind of bleed, or if you had a Gosh, even a dog, let's say, who or a bleeding, horse, or a horse right. you know, these would be able to be used around those kinds of arms, very skinny little arms, right. and, and this SWAT tourniquet would be uh, effective in stopping bleeding in those people. And if you haven't taken yours out of your package, you can go ahead and, and practice with it. You know, you, oh, okay. it, it won't ruin it. It's not sterile. Again, things that are generally used for bleeding, except for the Israeli pressure dressing, the, the Israeli bandage, those are not, those are sterile, but they're just sterile because at some point, if you just have a wound you need to cover and it's going to be on for a long time, they want to give you something that's sterile. So that is sterile. But other than that, most things that you're using to stop bleeding are, are not sterile. Because they know that at some point, shortly after stopping the bleeding, you're going to have to clean the wound. So tourniquets are not sterile. So you can open them up and practice with them. Don't don't fear that you're ruining something by practicing. Better to have your hands on it and know what you're doing. When the stressful time comes and you're freaking out because somebody you love or is close to you is now bleeding to death. So practice with it for sure. Okay, and then the other ones, the uh, the military type ones, those can be applied by by one by yourself with one one hand. Then, yes, they can be applied on yourself. You could apply either of them on other people easily with two hands. But you can uh, the military style tourniquets are meant to be used by the injured soldier on themselves with one hand if necessary. Okay. Of course, right. you could use both hands if, you know, your leg is injured. Yeah, if you're you doing know, your obviously. leg, right, then you can use your obviously. two hands. Right. Now, I, uh, my wife uh, was a nurse. as uh, She was a newborn intensive care nurse, so she only knew how to deal with people, with things that were so small that, uh, that was, she was totally useless for me. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unless you need your diaper changed in the future. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> One day it might come in handy. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. I mean, she understands medicine, and uh, so I shouldn't say that. But, but of she, she was a she was a, yeah she was a specialist. But she did de- develop over the years a uh, allergy allergy to latex, just like you said. Yep. yep. And uh, and and I think a lot of people that worked in hospital settings also developed that allergy. 
Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. There's oh, I'm very sensitive. If I keep on latex, like if um, I'm washing dishes, those gloves that you buy at the grocery store or a big box store, I will get itchy between my fingers and turn red within a short period of time. So I try not to have latex around me. I wouldn't say that I'm going to stop breathing, which some people can get like really bad allergies to it. But I have a contact dermatitis with it. My hands, they, I feel it. So I think it is from putting gloves on for so many years. Yeah, absolutely right. It is a big issue. It's a, there's a major epidemic of latex allergies in uh, the United States. And that's why it's very important for all of your kids to have nitrile gloves. Right. Nitrile gloves are not latex right. and they will not induce uh, an allergy in people who are sensitive to latex. And just look for the words hypoallergenic too. Yeah. Non-latex or hypoallergenic is a key word. Well, I buy these boxes of nitrile gloves because I have a workshop and I don't like to get my hands greasy if I'm working on an engine. And so I'll put these on and throw them away. Those are just, those are perfectly fine for a kit or do you need something yes. different than that? Okay. Nope, they're perfectly fine. As long as you're finding when you're working with them that, that they don't, break easily like the fingers aren't popping open if if you do some work and you find they're they're intact when you're done then they're probably thick and strong enough some of them are super super cheap and my gosh you just do the littlest thing and it cracks open you want something that's going to hold up now you want so if those are holding up while you're working they're fine you want a lot of those in your medical supplies, but you also want some of the sterile gloves as well, also non-latex, but sterile gloves in case you have to actually work in an open wound if you, or if you're going to, let's say, suture a wound or, or, or staple a wound, you have to deal with uh, as clean an environment as you possibly can, even, even in a situation when you're off the grid. Another uh, use also is if you're touching open burns. Right. If somebody's burned themselves, maybe on an engine. I'm always trying to get back to the sailing thing or the right. boating. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm thinking in my experience, the more likely injury we're going to have on a boat is going to be burning. Hopefully, we're not right. in a war zone. And, right. Uh, right. But burning is is something that's that could easily happen on a boat. The the biggest fear people have is is fire on a boat. So. Right. Right. Of course. So yep. if someone's been burned. You're going to want to use the sterile gloves that Joe's talking about because, again, they have an open wound. So you don't want to introduce any of the bacteria from your hands onto their wounds. So you would put sterile gloves on. I would put raw unprocessed honey all over that. And then I would cover that up with, it's called telfa or non-adherent sterile gauze. Right. Non-adherent sterile gauze comes in various sizes from really, really small to, to pretty big, but the non-adherent means it has a little bit of a sheen to it. If you look at a Band-Aid, a Band-Aid is non-adherent. It has that little bit of a shine to it. It's the same thing if you take that little tiny Band-Aid that's in, in contact with your wound and you just make it bigger. That's all you're talking about. Those three things and then some way to keep it on, maybe a rolled up gauze. You don't really want to use an ace bandage that's too heavy. Uh, the triangular bandage might hold that non-adherent gauze on. The Curlex you were talking about, or Coban, that sticky, mm -hmm. like, ace wrap type, that would be good to hold the gauze on. Uh, you don't need to 
put pressure on it because it's a burn. It needs to heal. But something just to hold that non-adherent sterile gauze. Those so are the important things for burns. If they, if you use anything but the non-adherent gauze, it's going to hurt when you pull it off the burn. Right. Because it's going to stick. Right. The tissue's and so, healing and it's going to grab on. And so that's very important. You have to remember with burns, especially any significant burns, that your skin, again, is damaged. Sometimes it may even go through the layers of the skin in, in third-degree burns. And in those circumstances, the risk of infection is great. And so, therefore, it's very, very important to make sure that you are handling it as if you were handling any other open wound. Right. All right. Well, this looks like a pretty complete kit that I'm looking at here. And this is the compact first aid kit. Now, this is just basically for trauma is what I'm looking at here. And you've got the nice thing is on your kits, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a little plug here, is, is you list everything. So they don't need to go buy your kit. They can buy every individual item in here. I don't think they're going to save anything, but uh, but you've got it all listed out to make it easy for people to uh, to put together their own kit if they wanted to. Or you've got multiple kits that uh, that you put together in packs uh, for for people to buy. And we, yes, we have an entire line of kits, everything from uh, a kit for the casual hiker all the way to the person that's going on a medical mission to Tibet for the next year. So we really go into detail with the various types of materials that we use. We assume that you're going to be off the grid and we do everything that you that's possible to deal with, gosh, well, 90, probably 99% of the emergencies that you would encounter in such a situation. Right, I'm also very open about exactly what you just said, what you are getting down to the brand name, the size, how many of them. Um, I'll even put little hints as to why I've put that in your kit. Now, I do want to say something about the compact kit. It's not just a trauma kit. It's also for minor boo-boos. You've got Band-Aid. You've got even super glue in there to Blisters. seal over a wound. You've got um, raw honey in there. We were talking about either uh -huh. for blood sugar or also for replacement of Neosporin or even on, on burns, like you're saying. There's the non-adherent dressing is in there. Uh, I even have moleskin. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about blisters, we have that. We have an ACE wrap. So you can use an ACE wrap for a sprained ankle, for a, a knee injury. Also, you can use it as a sling. But I also have the triangular bandage, which, again, we were talking about, has many, many different uses to stabilize, cover, hold, put in place. Um, different parts of your body. Right. So, so a lot of different uses for that kit beyond just someone who's bleeding. And I think that's important that you, you cover, I try to cover as many injuries as possible in each one of the kits that we make. And it's true. If you have the time and uh, you want to put the effort into it, you can take our, our kits and you can go ahead and find all these supplies individually. But we since we buy hundreds of each one of these items, we pass the savings on to you and we do the very best we can to uh, put together a kit. Well, you're, you're getting a kit that a medical doctor and a nurse practitioner would think right. is appropriate for your situation. And they're hand-packed when they order them, so I give people choices of their color. A lot of the kits have choices of tourniquets, the hemostatic gauze that we were talking about. Um, you get choices of all three of those if you're 
got the military tourniquet. I have three different choices of that. Oh, and your kits can come in waterproof containers. I do now have, yes, the size for um, the a number some of, of our some different of the kits. kits. Yeah, the smaller ones to come in a waterproof kit down to 80 feet underwater. All right, that finished up that interview. I've made arrangements to get him back and do a second part to this interview uh, next week. So we couldn't continue today because he had another appointment or another call that he had to make, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. I found their information valuable, and I hope you do too. If you have any comments or questions, uh, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com. And thanks for listening. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.